Today's podcast is brought to you by Deep Crawl. Deep Crawl is the world's most comprehensive web crawler. Um, they have a really powerful technology to help you understand and monitor technical issues, basically to help you improve your SEO performance. Um, Deep Crawl enables search marketers to make websites more accessible, relevant, and effective. You can get a free trial today at deepcrawl.com/offer. That's deepcrawl.com/offer. Hi, this is Lauren Baker, founder of Search Engine Journal. Welcome to another episode of Search Engine Nerds. With me today, I have Alan Blyweiss, SEO auditor extraordinaire. Please say hi, Alan. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me, Lauren. Awesome. So on today's episode, we'll be talking with Alan, who I, I've known for, I'd say, 10 years plus, um, about SEO, the importance of evergreen content in the customer journey. Uh, the importance of education and uh, really setting expectations with clients um, and some other tidbits as they come up. So, Alan, would you like to take uh, the opportunity to make an introduction? Yeah, so I it's, <laughs> each time somebody asks me to do an intro, it's like, you know, I, I pretty much introduced myself a number of times over the years. So <laughs> just go back on the Internet and research it. <laughs> No, seriously. Uh, seriously, uh, I'm a fanatic for being able to be helpful to other people. Uh, I'm far from perfect in that work, uh, and in that effort. However, I do my best to really show up and be helpful. Uh, and uh, I got involved with internet marketing in January of 95, right? So I was building websites and then managed websites for many years. Uh, and then one day around 2000, uh, one of my clients said, hey, what are these search engines? What's all, what is this all about? So I needed to learn. And that's when I began helping clients with SEO. And it evolved to the point where eventually that was my primary business. Uh, and five years ago this summer, I shifted again to where my primary business is forensic site audits. Uh, and that's what I do. So uh, I work with a all different kinds of clients, small, medium, and large. The reality is, though, that uh, these days it's mostly mid-sized to enterprise and global clients. And uh, the mission has always been for the 22 years that I've been in, involved in this overall industry and 17 with SEO is how helpful can I be to those people? Excellent. Excellent. And we were just talking right before we jumped on the podcast about something and you had brought up that, that you're always looking for something that may be broken or something that may be wrong. Do you feel that you, that was part of your personality that led you getting into the world of SEO audits or vice versa? Yeah. So I have a bit of OCD. So things that are not quite right in my visual line of sight tends to jump out at me anyway. <laughs> uh, and and uh, so that's a challenge, uh, except I can make use of that in my work, right? Right, but it's, but most fascinating, I think, uh, to a certain degree, is the fact that uh, in 1979 I joined the army and I went into the military police and I got into the crime prevention at end of that work. And in my job in the military police, I was responsible for conducting undercover investigations, uh, and one segment of that was 
to look for vulnerabilities in physical security of uh, army bases and uh, assets owned by the military, right? Uh, barracks and uh, air, uh, uh, helicopter uh, uh, storage facilities and all that stuff, right? So a little bit of everything, right? And in that work, I needed to learn how to observe in a way that would allow me to see when things didn't look right. Because when something doesn't look right, that's going to lead me to finding vulnerabilities. And back then in the 80s, it was about physical security of, of, of facilities and assets and uh, human vulnerabilities for personnel and their families. You know, that's where my investigative experience began. And that's when I first started learning how to look for unnatural patterns. So it's just amazing that all those years later, I was able to tap that knowledge and put it to use here now, where it's my primary my primary work. It's pretty amazing, actually. Um, so we're only a couple minutes in, but I'm gonna get off tangent already. <laughs> so uh, I, I um, uh, something came uh, something came up recently where I shared something on Facebook, right? And I I, I don't really share that much work related stuff because what happens when I share work related stuff is like all my family members and friends are asking me what that is. Yeah. So I sent, I shared something the other day um, that uh, it, it was basically um, uh, some of the content work that we were doing at, at foundation. And I had a, a family member saying, I, I don't know what you do, but congratulations. This looks great. And, and then I got back to her and I'm like, this is one of my aunts. And I, and I said, I do exactly what I did when I was a kid. I like to create things and I think of ideas and I pitch them to clients and then we take that and we turn it into things like infographics and eBooks and almost things like the comics that I drew when I was a youngster. Right. And I'm not doing the drawing per se. I'm a pretty bad drawer, but I, I will put together the outlines and, and, and things like that um, in terms of planning. And it's uh, just a question of being creative. So just to hear, you know, how you kind of found your niche, back and being an MP kicking butt <laughs> in the 80s um, yeah. and apply that to what found something, right? That kind of fit uh, what you um, enjoyed or probably excelled at doing without possibly even planning on going down that path. In, in the yeah, well, the internet didn't exist in 1982, right? So, right. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so that, that's, that's what's beautiful about life. If you can just go about your life focusing on what you think you want to be able to do now or what you can do now in life and in business specifically. And then as your life progresses, you can tap and call on knowledge you've gained over the years, even when it's in a completely different field or industry or work path. Yeah. Uh, or in your case, it's going all the way back to childhood, you know? Yeah. So it, I, I really enjoy it, but there are, there are major differences, right? Obviously. So, Back when I was in the in the army, uh, I conducted an inspection once uh, where I was undercover, and uh, I I was able to go into the uh, the headquarters company barracks for the signal intelligence company uh, at Fort Meade in Maryland. Right, and this company is responsible for signals intelligence. Okay, and I walked in unchallenged by anybody that was around the 
there were people that guard in the front door and nobody asked me who I was. Could I show you, can you show me ID or whatever, right? So I, I walked in and I walked around and I, I got into all sorts of things. <laughs> and one of the things I got into was the company commander's office. And in that office, she had a box on the wall that was a key box to all sorts of sensitive and secure stuff. But it was locked. So, okay, great. But I sat down at her desk, and in her top drawer, she had the key to the key box. Nice. And I opened up the key box, and I had access to keys that would have allowed me access to signals intelligence equipment. Okay? Well, the end result of that was she was demoted from captain to, to uh, busted down to first lieutenant and uh, obviously transferred. Um, but that's the kind of power I had back then. And I had a, a serious level of responsibility with what I did and how I did it. And the results that would come from that would be positive. And now with site audits, I'm not looking to get anybody fired. But once in a while, you'll find some things that are like, why wasn't somebody thinking when they did this? Right. So, th so there are similarities, even though it's a completely different world. So when I hear the word audit, a lot of different things come to mind. Um, when I first got started in SEO, when I would do site audits, it would be a list of everything that's broken, and then basically copy and paste stuff on how to fix it. Sometimes it would be adding copy and things like that. As SEO got more and more popular, I looked at audits, and um, sometimes it would just be a list of, of things, a, a spreadsheet. Right. Sometimes just a uh, screaming frog export or something like that. Right. So, um, how do you define audits? Like, in, when someone is approaching you for an SEO audit, how do you typically define that, and what's the expected deliverable? Right. So, so the word audit is interpreted many different ways by different people in our industry and by site owners. Right, or site managers or agencies that are responsible for supporting them. I mean, some people in our industry say, you know, we'll give you an audit and, and, and we'll deliver it in an hour, <laughs> right? right? What are they doing for that? They're, they're running a screaming frog. And a crawl. Crawl and, and a list, that list of known standard things that are issues, or they're running a Moz crawl or, or a Majestic crawl. Right or any one of these other tools that do audits in an automated way based on that tools looking for specific patterns just like I do myself, uh, except I don't consider that the kind of audit that my clients need in most cases. Now, when I do a preliminary evaluation, sometimes I'll say, you know what? I think this is all you need here, so go ahead and make use of that, and it'll get you going. Right. Mm -hmm. Typically, that's only really good for a 5, 10, 25 page website that doesn't have a whole lot of content or the person that's doing it is they're a small business owner and they don't have a lot of money. For me, the kind of audits that I offer and where business owners and managers seek me out specifically is the much more complex challenge scenario where. You've got 5,000 or 50,000 or 5 million or 50 million pages, right? Uh, you're in an extremely competitive industry or everything that you've done with those automated tools only got you so far and you think you could potentially get more out of it or it right. didn't help. 
like, or you were penalized or you lost massive rankings. It's the much more challenging scenarios where I come in with the kind of audit that I deliver. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to deliver a 5,000-page report. I need to be able to provide enough knowledge and point out enough important or very important issues where when the work is done based on the tasking I include in that, those clients are going to have the best opportunity for maximized results, right, on a large scale over time and in a sustainable way. So for me, I do run crawls using deep crawl, screaming frog, right? Uh, or recently, I've been re-exploring SEM Rush because they have a new audit system yeah, uh, that, that, that I'm looking into now, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and a whole bunch of other tests. You know, I have 45, almost 50 tools now at this point. You know, I've added 10 more tools to my list since last year. Uh, when I, when I, or a year and a half ago, when I posted a post about the top 40 tools I use, right? Uh, and those are critical to be able to gather data and to look for patterns. However, without the human mind coming into it and understanding and interpreting the data or understanding and interpreting signal relationships from two or three or five different individual data sets, right, there's a really serious potential for missing major situations that need to be addressed if you really want to succeed big on, on, on a larger scale, big, big time, right? Um, and so I go that extra mile. And then I also go into the site as if I'm a human being who's going to want to buy their products or services or hire them or want to get educated if it's an educational site, right? Or if I'm doing a, trying to find more information and they're a directory site, whatever they are, whatever their model right. is, I need to act like the person who's going to do a search in Google and come to their site to see if I can get that answer met for the question or questions that I have. Uh, and that work then leads me to identifying issues that no crawl is ever going to find. Yeah. Right. So it's, yeah. it's a broader process. That's my, that's my take on what an audit is as I deliver them for the needs my clients have. Yeah. You know, understanding the user path is incredibly important. And at the end of the day, it also identifies things like, you know, the importance of internal navigation or answering that question while the user is in that path so the user then doesn't have to go somewhere else and get the answer to that question. If you think about yeah. it, you can visualize that with data. You can say, okay, here's, here's the sales transactional process. Here's the informational stuff way over here, right? Yeah. And then here's the FAQ just on some template that's page wide. How do I bring that so where the end user and the bot doesn't have to look through the rest of the site to find that? Right. Um, so, and at the end of the day, that's also a conversion audit, right? That's a customer journey conversion optimization yeah. standpoint. And if anything, a lot of what I've heard, and I think this is even coming from Google quite a bit, is that, you know, people really have to understand how to get from the point of entry to the point of an intended action, so to speak, yeah. um, and, and how that, that, that works. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so that, that's the full life cycle buyer journey, mm -hmm. right? And SEO 
that's truly aligned to each step in that buyer life cycle journey. And we, I call it buyer because it's a simple way to visualize it. Right. But not everybody's looking to buy something, right? If I want to become educated, you know, I'm a student, right? So it's the student life cycle, right? The life cycle of the student journey uh, or the researcher journey, right? Uh, it's that whole process, that whole experience from the human being perspective. And everybody that comes to your site is not at that same point in the journey, right? The more you can align the user experience within the site to that timeline or that process, the better SEO is and the better your conversion potential is as well, without a doubt. Excellent, excellent. And you had also talked about the importance of education in your audits. Yeah. Um, in terms of educating the client or, or giving them the the ammunition, so to speak, to be able yeah. to get stuff implemented. So could you go over that a little bit for our yeah. listeners? Yeah. yeah, so so I approach the concept of audit work as how helpful can I truly be to this client? Right? They're paying me good money, you know, uh you know, five thousand, eight thousand, fifteen thousand dollars per audit. And yes, it's true that if they're able to execute everything properly and if all of the circumstances align and the stars align, because sometimes it's just the reality, mm -hmm. they could potentially make millions of more dollars a year. So what, is 5,000 really that much? Well, no. However, maybe, maybe they're a really small business. Whoever it is, whatever their budget is, I believe that the money they're paying me that allows me to live the lifestyle I live living at the beach here requires me to go the extra distance in helping them in different ways. So a primary way for me is not to just say, here's a problem on your site and here's the work that you need to do to fix it. Here right? you go. <laughs> yeah, right? Now, good luck, goodbye, right? That's important. And if I take the time in my audit write-up to convey why I found, why what I found is something that I consider important to SEO, why is this important to SEO compared to something else, right? And if I'm able to convey in the audit write-up what those relationships are about and why the relationships matter more than individual signals, and if I can help them to learn how to be able to see things at least somewhat in the way I see them when I'm looking at a site or I'm looking at data, that's going to empower them to be able to not just avoid needing to hire somebody like me down the road, but where they can do a better job in their own day-to-day -day work and responsibilities or where they can collaborate more efficiently with others in their team, right? Or when they task work out as a manager, they themselves can put their own eyes on it and see it differently to help make sure it's better work right out of the gate, right? right. Uh, and ultimately, I like to put it to clients like this. Look, you're paying me 300 or $500 an hour or whatever you're paying me right now for this audit one time at a fat, flat rate. I don't want you to have to keep paying me 300 or $400 or $500 an hour every time something might come up that you think might be a problem or where you get caught short because of some new thing that was done. The more educated you can be, the less you need to hire somebody like me in the future as well. And I'm not afraid of that. Yeah, because those clients become really happy clients and then they're evangelists for my work as well. So uh, everybody wins.
Yep. Exactly. Yeah. The power of education is pretty key in all of this. And it's just, you know, it's making sure that the same thing doesn't happen over and over and over again. That's why, you know, I hear the word programmatic come up a lot um, with audits, especially on the enterprise level. Like, how can we do this programmatically? How can we, you know, implement this into this process, whatever it may be. And that's great. But a lot of the time by, um, a lot of the time taking something on a programmatic level also means to breaking things programmatically as well, right? right. So if, if you can, uh, if you break something on one page, the rest of the site is broken on every page, right? So it's, yeah. uh, that teaching aspect is pretty important. Do you also do anything like, uh, are there any kinds of online courses or anything like that that you've worked on or worked with that you recommend to your clients to help them there? Or would you rather have that come directly from you? Yeah, no. Uh, I, I mean, if somebody doesn't have foundational SEO, I, I send them to the Moz content for, you know, the the, the SEO basics, right? SEO 101, right? right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, again, you don't want to have to pay me <laughs> 350 or $500 an hour to teach you basics, yeah? Uh, beyond that, though, it's always customized for every client. Yeah, uh, yeah. And... and uh, again, because most of my clients have at least some people in-house or in an agency that's already providing them services, they typically have a really strong foundation and even some advanced knowledge. And my role is just refining that, mm-hmm. right? So when the when the time comes, uh, let's say I, I recommend, okay, you need to do better work at your keyword implementation. Or you need to be able to do better at creating content topical hubs like you were talking about earlier, right? Where you group all of that specific content together navigationally and architecturally and for human beings, right? Whatever it might be where they just need guidance on how to do a better job at those things, I personally take the time to educate somebody on their team. Excellent. Right? Excellent. And and we'll spend an hour, two hours, five hours, 10 hours, whatever it is, except it's just really focused to that specific need. And they find it worthy to pay me that much money because they're getting really powerful training for that specific need that they have. If it turns out that they have a lot of other similar needs, but it's not just like a one-time, two or three or five hour situation, more often than not, what I'll do is I will connect them with an agency that can handhold. Because I think that's better service and better value long term, mm-hmm. both from a financial investment perspective and where I'm not looking to be interacting with one client 50 or 80 or 100 hours a year because I want the diversity, right? And so I, I, I recommend others that can help them. Or sometimes also individuals as well. Uh, but again, it's a personalized human educational process. So um, do you have any tips on setting those expectations uh, with the client before signing so they're not assuming that yeah. uh, after everything's done, they can still, you know, hey, hey can, I, can, I, can I get you on the phone for just a little bit? I got a couple of questions actually real quick or something like that. So um, yeah. can we... Yeah, any tips there? All right, so with expectation setting, uh, this has evolved over the last several years uh, because I found the hard way (laughs) in running my own business that uh, Mm -hmm. 
if I'm not crystal clear up front on certain considerations or factors or things that people need to be aware of, they're potentially going to have unrealistic expectations. Yeah, especially if they've come from a world where I've heard or I read, you know, that whole, yeah. I, I read online, that you don't have to worry about this, you know, that kind of stuff. I know, I know enough to be dangerous. Yeah, and, and, I, and I used a mocking tone in my voice there. However, I, I, this yeah. is really serious, right? And it's not necessarily their fault. Yeah, because like a, law, a lawyer, for example, right? An attorney is running a law firm and they deal with legal cases and legal process. So they have expertise in the law field. They shouldn't have to be experts in our work. Yeah. Right. Uh, but they're curious and a lot of them want to learn and they try to figure it out on their own because they're alpha type. And that's great. And that's where the danger comes in. If you go online and you just read whatever and you don't vet it. You can run into those problems as one example. Uh, but also in my own documentation, if I don't specify certain things in my introductory email, even before I send them a proposal, I'm leaving the door open for unrealistic expectations. So I have boilerplate text, even though I customize my first response email to first communicate, I took a quick look at your site and here's a few things I already found that I know are probably important, but I need to do more work to find out. After that customized, here's what I found for your site, I then go into boilerplate about what's included in the audit, what's not included in the audit, what's the turnaround timeline, what can you expect in terms of results. I have boilerplate disclaimer co content that's several paragraphs long, even in that first email. Now, whether they read that email or not, I sent it to them and I have a copy. After that, in the proposal itself, I have disclaimer paragraphs. I have literally three pages or two and a half pages of disclaimers in the proposal. Yeah? Yeah. As, as part of that, sometimes, most of the time, I don't have three paragraphs or three pages of, of disclaimers in the, in, the, in the proposal. Typically, I only have one or two paragraphs, but it talks about the expectation of results and where I use things, words, carefully. So like when I talk about turnaround time from the date you pay me the, the deposit, I will deliver it in approximately five to six weeks from the date I've gotten the payment. I don't even say six weeks. No, because that's dangerous, right? You need to be approximate. Yeah, so disclaimers are everything. So if, and even when I only have one paragraph of disclaimer in the proposal, the audit deliverable document itself absolutely is always now going to include two or three pages of general, broad educational information that really serves as a disclaimer set, mm -hmm. right? It talks about how the fact that SEO is not a panacea. It's not a fix-all. You're not, you don't expect overnight results. Right. You know, I cover those things I think are important. Yes, there's potentially many other things to talk about. However, I didn't think they were important. If you get through this audit, though, we can go back to those as well, right? Yeah. Um, let's fix this first. Well, yeah, let's fix these first, right? I, yeah, I talk about prioritization and understanding and how to get through that. So there's a lot of education just in the need to set expectations with all of these different considerations. So here's a question I hear a lot, and it's funny because you just kind of brought it up with uh, expectations on um, the results of the audit. 
AJ in the comments asks, SEO is a long-term strategy, but how long is long-term before one should expect positive results? So how long is it going to take? To get yeah. Uh, actually, uh, interestingly enough, uh, Jeremy now from Spartan Media is going to be coming out with an article on that topic here in the near future. So keep your eyes out for that. Uh, Miley Oye, who is no longer with Google, uh, but had been at Google as a senior manager of development, uh, came out uh, a while back. I guess it was last year. Uh, time flies, so it might have been a little bit longer than, ago than that. It might have been only last summer, right, where she talked about that concept as well. Yeah. The, the answer is, like most things in SEO, it depends, right? Yeah. Uh, and people look for quick wins or low-hanging fruit. Yeah, you know what? I'm all for helping you to get quick wins here and there and low-hanging fruit. However, if you're coming to me, you're signing on with me for long-term strength and stability and growth. And if you do that properly, you will potentially see short-term quick wins in some ways. But the reality is, for me, because of the level of work I do, most clients are going to need six months to a year to roll out the tasking I'm recommending. So if it's going to take six Good months point. to do the work, how can you expect six months of work is going to get you quick wins tomorrow, right? Where's the ROI on that? Yeah. So it, it all depends on all the circumstances and the reality and your unique situation, your unique challenges, the competitiveness. The history, the history yeah. of the site, the existing authority of the site, like, Everything's there. There's been some projects um, that I've taken on where you're talking about a site that's been around for five or six years, but they've never really focused on SEO. And then you yeah. look at it and you're like, oh, I can fix all this stuff and it's probably going to help it a lot. And sometimes yeah. it does. And sometimes, sometimes it does. Yeah. yeah. And then sometimes <laughs> you have a, a site with a, a, so much of, of, a, of a history of not necessarily doing things bad, but doing things out of the box. Right, yeah, or inventing their own content management solution or whatever it may be, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, um, how do you fix all of this uh, compared to uh, the fixes that you would do on WordPress within the US plugin or whatever else could take months uh, on some sites, right? So that is that is important. It's a really hard question to answer. I think Miley did a great job of that because what did she say? Between four months and twelve months. Once the charges changes start to take place, and it was really, I mean, I mean that was great, right? I mean, from 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 an SEO consultant perspective, yeah. to see one of the most veteran SEO people at Google right before she leaves puts out that video, and I was like, yes, finally, finally, yeah. yeah. And it's not just speculation, and and I'm I'm sure Jeremy, you know. What's up, Jeremy? I saw you, you shared this before uh, we started, but I'm sure Jeremy's article is going to be fantastic, and it will probably be one of the things that you know, one of the resources that are, that are shared in Citadel's expectations. But when Miley said that, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's directly from Google. Um, yeah, that, that's amazing. And, and 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 it's and it's content like that that really helps when you have a potential client and they're like, uh, well, for me, it's a one-time audit, but when they go to hire an agency for ongoing work, right? And it's like, yeah, yeah. You want us to sign this contract where we hire you for a year, and we're like, "Yeah, can we take it month to month and see how it goes?" And you're like, "No, you don't understand. We need to build, and we need to take time, and it's going to require momentum. And then we're going to have to wait for Google to catch up to it, and all these other realities." 
Yeah. That one, to, one to three months is not very realistic in many cases. That doesn't mean you can't get really serious victories short term, though. I've had a few clients now and again where I'll, come, I'll do an audit and I'll make 200 recommendations as one example, right? 200 tasks, yeah? Uh, and they just do the first five, and if they're the right five in that unique situation, right? they could literally see massive growth within two weeks. So it's yeah. all going to depend on the uniqueness of that situation. So when you're, when you're delivering that audit and that list of fixes and reasons why, do you typically prioritize in that order? Or do you prioritize based upon the capability of the client, what they're able to fix? Or how does that typically work with you? Uh, I kind of like to be a wise guy in my communication, if you haven't followed me online. <laughs> uh, and brutally honest uh, as well. So it kind of muddies things sometimes. But what I, I tell my clients first out of the gate, if I included it in the audit, it's a, it's a top priority, right? Okay, so maybe here's a couple of things that are low priority, and I'll say that in that section of the document. I'll list those last. Everything else, though, I consider it a high priority, so I want you to work on all of it today. <laughs> That's not reality, though, <laughs> for most site owners and <laughs> most, most teams. So we need to walk through what can be done first or sooner you know, circumstances are going to dictate sometimes that something that could be a, a primary test today for one site might need to be held off on for another site. If I find too many problems with your site technically, you may need to be, rebuild it from the ground up. If that's going to take a, if that's going to take a year, here's these other things you can be doing with your live site. In the meantime. Mm -hmm. That'll help your live site now. So do that so you can take advantage of that short term and midterm. And then when you rebuild the site over there for this longer term process, you'll already have that additional trust, authority, relevance, and quality signal set in place that you can then migrate that over to the new system. Right? That's sometimes what it ends up needing to be. Right, right. Excellent. And uh, speaking of that, we talked about content a little bit earlier in terms of the customer journey. But uh, one thing that I've been doing a lot of, we've been doing a lot of at SEJ and on the client side as well, is looking at not only content that helps with the conversion or content on-page content, which, which helps from an SEO perspective and educating the user, whatever their intention may be, but also putting together evergreen content that's resourceful, that people are going to share, that's going to probably get links or has some possibility of, of virality, so to speak. Yeah. Um, we've been doing a lot of content consolidation on our side as a publisher and with clients too, right? Because if you think a couple of years ago when everyone started really jumping on the, the blogging, uh, I don't want to say bandwagon, but you know, the blog train was that, like, oh, we got, we got to pump out, you know, 50 articles a month about this subject. And then all of a sudden, you're doing a search for something, you know, I don't know, um, uh, graphic design software. And you see that your site has, you look in Google um, Webmaster Tools, Search Console, and you see, and you look in, at, at the search analytics, and you see that one post 
on graphic design software is getting the ranking and the clicks and the traffic. And all of those other 50 posts that you've done are not, right? Yeah. So there's probably, there's typically a conflict there, right? You're, you're cannibalizing, you're competing against yourself. And then how do you bring all of that together? Yeah. What we've seen is I tip, we'll, we'll typically make sure that everything's updated, bring it all together in the one monster epic post. And then also look at the inbound link portfolio too, right? Yeah. Um, and then so far, what I'm saying is it, it's most yeah. of the time it results in growth. And it also results in something that you should not feel that you should feel pride in when you send it out to your email list of customers as a resource. Yeah. Or when you send it out, you know, when you share it on social media, it doesn't look like it's obvious SEO content, so to speak. So, uh, could you could you um, could you add to that? Yeah. So that that brings up a really important concept, and that is, what's the purpose and value of jumping on the latest trend bandwagon in our industry? And What's the long-term harm that can cause? Stepping back after that or separate from that evaluation, what's the best way I can serve the people's needs for those people who I consider my ideal market or markets? And it comes back to the notion and the concept of education as a critical concept, both in generalized education within your industry and also specific to what your your specific products or services are as well as two separate content types. And quantity versus quality is always a big issue. So banging out 50 new blog posts a month versus taking the time to create one award-winning guide as an example, right? I mean, Jen Slegg, she's somebody in our industry who I admire a great deal. And I refer to her her guides often in my audit work to help clients because those individual focused guides have so much information that's all high quality, that's a real deal. It's not looking to exist purely for SEO ranking. It's there to truly help the people who come into that page to read it. Right. And, and where you cover so many subtopics within it that it's it becomes an invalu- invaluable single piece or a small subset of pages, right? Uh, and I know a number of people in our industry who are, who are finding great success doing that now. We're, we're slowing down. We're reversing that trend of going wide. And we're consolidating down to better, fewer and better. Absolutely. That's true for blog content. And it's true for evergreen content. When I talk about evergreen content, I talk about hard code pages within your main product and service sections of your site. And what we talked about earlier, this is bringing it full circle, the content hub, right? The topical hub. Yeah. Yeah? So one page that only has two paragraphs and it's about your primary product because somebody thought we don't have to be wordy into talking about our own products. Well, that's not answering all the questions people have about your product. Yeah? Exactly. Uh, and, and if I have to go looking somewhere else on the site for an FAQ, or I have to scour through three years of old blog posts to find related information about this topic for this product or service, that's 
creating unnecessary friction points. Mm -hmm. And if I'm creating 50 somewhat okay pieces of content or blog posts, and only one of them is going viral or getting real traction, that alone can tell me what's going on in terms of, well, you know what? I've got friction points to people getting the content that I'm producing. So I need to look at that. And I need to find a way to improve the process so there's less friction in providing access to the information people need and want. So that's what I see it, what you're talking about, and that's what that's about for me. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool to hear that too, especially since you're you're, you're so much on the tech side, right, and and uh, the the forensic audit side, and then that really does parallel to a lot of the the work I've I've been doing recently. Is yeah, like just what I was talking about, right? Is like, okay, so we can create this content, we, we will, but let's also look to see what you've done already and see how we can get the most out of that. And yeah. it's not just a question of making sure there's all attributes on images and, and <laughs> things like that, but it's like, hey, let, let's, okay, so if you put all these little pieces together, right, and you, you can create Voltron, and it happens from time to time. And, you know, on the S&J side, um, yeah, that's one project that Danny Goodwin has been working on, is ever since he's come on board, we're actually creating less pieces of content, but they're more in depth, right? So we're covering news as it happens, we're covering Google News, they got Matt Southern working on that, and, and even some of our contributors work on that as well. But what we've been doing is focusing on not only, uh, not only less but better pieces of content, but really mapping out how all of that works together, almost in the same way that this is a story of a cobbler. Sometimes the cobbler's kids have no shoes, right? So actually mapping, <laughs> mapping this out. So, okay, these pieces of content support a greater piece of content, right? Mm -hmm. Which is an ebook or white paper or whatever, which supports this. And how does all of that work together? And, and it's been a really great exercise. And, you know, one thing I enjoy is the ability to be both a publisher and a consultant because I see the Janice and some of the SJ people are on here, so I don't, I don't want to, but uh, I, but it, being a publisher and a consult, being a publisher gives you the ability mm -hmm. to experiment, right? Yeah, and the last place that you typically want to experiment is on the client side, yeah, right? So, being able to experiment on something, to be able to put this all together, have a case study, and then say, look. I did this over here, or I did this for this client, or I did this for another site. Hi, Janice. Yeah. I did this for another site, yeah. and this is the result. Let's do it for you as well. It's really beneficial. And I, I've always, you know, um, I've, I've always, uh, when people ask me, what can I do to be better at SEO? I'll tell them to launch a site, right? To launch yeah. a site, launch your own property, do something that you can do those experiments on, and it really, it really is, um, it really is a, a joy to be able to do so. So Janice uh, Henriksen, the CEO of Alpine Brand Media slash SEJ, just chimed in. We encourage experimentation at SEJ. So that's content experimentation, along with other forms. So thank you, Janice. Just, and and she reminded, and she reminded, just don't mess up the stats, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So it's okay and it's important and it's vital to experiment and you need to do so judiciously and cautiously and gently, right? Absolutely. Because if you experiment randomly or without understanding potential negative implications, 
you're going to run into trouble too often. And, and I, I caution clients about that as well, right? Uh, so somebody just asked another question, but it was a really long question. What was yeah, that? Yeah, really long. I'll, I'll pop it up again really quickly. So is link building still that important? Some people say yes. Others completely or other answers are completely different. Some say the content marketing is a no. Sick of working with HCO agencies and do SEO myself and constantly confused. Please enlighten me. Yeah. I'm reading this because we are recording this for a podcast. So the question is, is link building still important? Mm -hmm. um, I'll let you go first. All right. So just to clarify in that in that question, it was some people are saying content marketing is number one now. Right. Right. It's not, no, it's, it's it, some people say that's number one above link building, right? Fascinatingly and interestingly enough, as a segue, uh, my article that's going to be coming out in, uh, at SEJ um, is on world-class link building. Okay. And that's the tentative title. And it's one of those pieces of content that's really strong and goes much more in depth than your typical piece of content that's out there on link building. Because for me, link building isn't link building when it's done properly. It's part of a broader public relations initiative and overall marketing yeah. initiative that, inv that involves on-site work, outreach, community involvement, engagement, and off-site recognition. Yeah. So it's a much different, deeper understanding of what we in our industry traditionally think of as link building, right? Uh, and the fact is this, link building in that perspective, the way I just described, on-site, outreach, community participation, engagement, and recognition from others is critical to SEO because it's the it's the glue that search engines need to hold the signals together that they've already processed from your own core content where they already initially formulaically think your site deserves this visibility for this set of phrases for these reasons, right? You need to be able to reinforce that and supplement your core focus and messaging and do so in a way that's going to get recognition off, off site and participate out in the world like a true big brand does and mm -hmm. has always done long before the internet existed big brands did community outreach they worked on engagement opportunities with society right uh, and when they did good things for the right reasons even though it was because, yeah, we're a business and we need to make money, they still did things for the right reasons anyway, and they do to this day. As participants in society, it's those kind of things that are going to lead to the recognition that causes natural links to be created without you asking specifically as one part of the mix. Right. But engage, engagement and, you know, engagement is like giving back. Yes, yeah, so scholarships is a great thing, except – too many people end up, all they do is scholarships, right? Scholarships. So you get 8,000% so, so 8, growth in your site, but it's all to your scholarship page, and none of those people convert to customers, yeah. right? Yeah. 
I'm not saying don't do scholarships. It's part of giving back and being a good, good societal participant, right? Uh, and it's part of the trust signal. You need to think bigger terms and bigger concepts. And that's where my article that I'm going to be coming out with in a couple of weeks is, is going to be focused on some of those in a bit more depth and give examples of how you can do that work. But like you talked about, right, infographics. Yeah, everybody's doing infographics. No, if you do it properly, you go the extra mile to create an infographic that's truly well-created, well-designed, and conveys knowledge that's really helpful, that piece is more likely to get more visibility and more shares naturally instead of you just going and pinging 800 infographic websites, right? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> different mind, different mm -hmm. mindset to link building. You're completely right. And I mean, for me, Link building, content marketing, and PR have always gone hand in hand, right? Um, you know, especially on the PR side. And, and there's been times where I've worked with companies where they'll have another PR agency or they'll have a, a PR department. Sometimes those PR departments never talk to the SEO people until we get a great placement, right? And they're like, oh, yeah. what's going on? How come you're talking to this, you know, this, this, yeah. this magazine that, you know, uh, we have our contacts there. But um, when you can work together, and you know, one thing that I've been working on recently is we've been putting together great information in infographic format and other content formats, and we can do our own outreach and our, our placements or however you want to define it um, are going well. But when we're, able to, when we're able to work with a PR team that wants to work with us that says, hey, this stuff is amazing. We know where we can get, a, we can get it covered. It's, right. it's so much better, right? So, yeah. you know, link building and, and, and PR and content, they all go hand in hand. They're all incredibly important. And um, sorry, someone's pinging my, uh, pinging my uh, Gmail. They all go incredibly, they're all incredibly important. And at the end of the day, it's just, if you can think of it as not a way to trick and Google and trick people and everything else, and as a way to give people something to enjoy from a content perspective, it's great. And, and the writing is important. The research is important. The design is important. Nothing, nothing I can't stand more than an infographic that has a thousand uh, sources underneath, right? What I like to see is, yeah. is uh, something where um, the, the company that put that together is actually like they have their own data. Right. Yeah. So then if you can go and you can do a study or something like that, that you can supply to PR and say, hey, we put together this, this, this data for you, this, this great study, put that into infographic format, you can put that in the video format. Then you're really talking at the end of the day on the channel marketing, which yeah. helps everything. Right. So yeah. it's, it's part of the pie. I know that doesn't answer the question of, hey, you know, how many links do we need to get or, or, or uh, you know, anchor text and, and this and that. But if you can apply those SEO skills to overall marketing and SEO goals to overall marketing, it does have a significant effect at the end of the day. Uh, Adam John Humphreys chimes in, infographics are awesome for share value, but there has to be content on the page for Google to see value rather than just raw traffic from inbound links. It's very true, Adam. Um, at the end of the day, I see infographics as a way to consolidate the talking points in existing written text content 
and put it out there in a way that's shareable, that people process quickly, um, that people want to enjoy. And um, yeah. thanks for chiming in there. Yeah, so, and, and another thing that I like to suggest to clients too is, yes, create a page where that infographic exists. Yeah? You need to have crawlable descriptive text on that page that communicates what's in the infographic enough so that the page isn't considered thin formulaically yet it doesn't mean you it doesn't mean you need to have the page that has the infographic embedded itself be 15,000 words right this is where you have opportunities though to link to those deeper pieces as well and yeah. and where we talked about consolidation before we don't want to go in the extreme of consolidating everything to just one page or one URL you you have multiple pages so you have the the infographic page that has some good content for your SEO needs and you have a separate page that's the more text heavy as an option right or you can split the infographic into slices and and have four individual pages that individually go into more depth about each section of it there's a lot of ways you can go about it so we started seeing sites do that with our pieces, right? So when we started seeing sites like The Chive and um, other, uh, I, don't, I don't know, all these like pop culture youngster sites, right? Started chopping it up. I'm like, huh, I wonder why they're chopping it up so much. But then I look at it on my phone. I'm like, aha, it's responsive yeah. now. So, yeah, now, so now, now it's, re- now it's responsive. Home. Right, now it's responsive. Now it's more digestible for different people's needs and the way different people process information. It's, it's invaluable for multiple reasons. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Alan. I wasn't expecting to get into a discussion on infographics, but that was very valuable. We might have to chop that up and turn it into a deeper post or podcast to follow up on your future link building piece. You'll be contributing to SEJ. So that was fantastic. Um, I going to have to, uh, uh, cut this off very soon. So, Alan, um, you know, where can folks find you online? How, how can our uh, viewers and listeners uh, get in contact with you? Uh, any suggestions there? Yeah. Uh, go, let me Google that for you. <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Uh, and um, yeah, there you go. Those are my those are my two channels that I that I use. Uh, I Facebook used to only be private and exclusive to uh, my network of friends and family and 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 preferred connections. Uh, but I've opened it up more. Some of my stuff is is open uh, for public uh, right now. Uh, but Twitter, especially, I prefer Twitter for a lot of things as well. Uh, those are the two primary ways to get a hold of me and. Uh, Try and Google me with different spellings. I don't. I did not optimize my website for multiple spellings, so maybe you'll find me. Maybe you won't. But if you can spell Alan Blyweiss right, I take up most of the results in the first five pages of Google organically. So you eventually you'll find it. There you go. There you go. And like Arson says, just Google me. So just Google yeah. Alan. So uh, thanks again, Alan. It's been a pleasure. Um, I don't think we've done the podcast thing before. We've done some videos in the past and stuff like that. It's been really fun with the Facebook Live. Like it's it's kind of cool, this B Live system. We're seeing the comments come in. You can share the comments accordingly. It looks really professional for two yeah. all the Yeah, I, I want to thank, thank, thank you for having me on as a participant. Uh, I really like this format a lot. 
Uh, and I'm excited to uh, have it turn into a podcast as well. Yeah, so um, just let everyone know uh, that may have tuned in a little bit late. We are going to be scraping this audio, uh, uh, turning it into a podcast and sharing it accordingly. Uh, Alan's contact information, site info, and his post that he's talking about uh, will be linked to from the podcast uh, show notes. And we'll be, of course, we're going to share it with everybody um, once it's published. So thanks again, Alan. It's been a pleasure. Um, this has been Lauren Baker from Search Engine Journal and Alan Blyweiss, Forensic SEO audit consultant <laughs> and we're signing off so thank you sir take care okay bye-bye